Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. So welcome back to the Community Cats podcast. Today, we're speaking with Monica Frendon of Austin Pets Alive, and we're continuing our conversation about feline leukemia positive adoptions, as well as all the other programs that are going on. They're fantastic programs at Austin Pets Alive. Monica is the cat program manager there. If you're just tuning into this episode and you did not tune into our earlier episode, the episode previous to this one is part one of my conversation with Monica. And so we have Monica here for part two. Monica, I'd like to continue our conversation about the feline leukemia adoptions and ask you some questions about the adoptions that you've had and how do you handle many of the folks in our the program that I've had experience with are frequent adopters. So they will adopt a feline leukemia positive kitty, the kitty will pass away, and they'll come and adopt another one. Do you see that trend happening also at your program? We do. So we call it Felvy fever here in Austin. <laughs> um, so interestingly, of everyone who's adopted a leukemia cat from Austin Pets Alive, and we've tracked it, when their cat has passed, not a single person has ever not come back and adopted another feline leukemia cat. So that is every single person who's adopted a feline leukemia cat from us and their cat has passed, they've come back to do it again. So we, our first impression, I think, with people is always to say, oh, it's so heartbreaking. We'll never find people who want to get into that. Who's going to sign themselves up for a cat they know is going to die in a year or so? And experience has shown us that lots of people, actually, lots of people will sign up for that. Because A, you get to feel like a hero when you take home a special needs animal. We all know that. But I think it resonates really strongly with an adopter when they take home a feline leukemia cat and they understand that this cat would have been euthanized in nearly every shelter in the country just for testing positive for a virus. And they take that cat home and they fall in love with that cat and that cat becomes the love of their life. And then you think, this cat was probably going to be euthanized. It was probably very close to being euthanized for this virus. And that becomes an affront to you almost. Someone was almost going to euthanize this perfect animal that you love. And so, of course, when it's time again, you want to repeat that. You want to go save another life because you know how much it means now. So in the whole basket of programs that you have, you've listed off the feline leukemia adoption program. You have a neonatal, so I'd assume you have a kitten nursery? We do. We uh, started one of the first neonatal kitten nurseries in the country back in the day. And it actually, when it started, was run out of an old Airstream trailer because we didn't have a location at that point. So the Airstream trailer was home to the neonatal kittens, and volunteers would come in around the clock for 24-hour care of them. And where the program is at now, we'll do between 1,500 and 2,000 neonates a year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's a lot of kitten, a lot of KMR. <laughs> a lot of long, tiring nights. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank God it really has a robust volunteer team because it is round-the-clock 24-hour care. And then the unmentionable, but must be mentioned, ringworm. The ringworm, everyone's favorite fungus. Uh, so here in Texas, we see a ton of it, just a ton of it. And I think all across the country, that's still a population of cats that's frequently at risk of euthanasia in our municipal shelters. Not that ringworm itself has ever killed anyone. It hasn't. But it can lead to euthanasia really quick in a municipal situation because it can spread out of control so quickly. So what we've set up here is a program and a ward just for ringworm cats and kittens. They'll come through, they'll get their treatment, and they'll move on. They're also available for adoption right from the ringworm facility. So we'll do about 500 cats and kittens a year with ringworm. 
Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of fungus. <laughs> got a lot of KMR. You got a lot of dipping going on. Yes. A lot of lime sulfur dip. Yes. <laughs> then we also move into the barn cat program. And is that a very active program also? It is one of our flagship programs. And it's one of my favorites here because, of course, I started into this as a feral cat lady. But it's such a simple program and it makes so much sense and it's so effective to saving lives. So our barn cat program is strictly for cats who cannot be returned to their outdoor habitats. So we're not relocating. This is, these are cats that can't be TNR for one reason or another. And year round, we have a wait list of adopters for this program. Just year round, there's not enough, knock on wood, feral cats in Austin that need relocation to meet demand. And that was my experience in Illinois as well, was that so many people are looking for this barn cat service. So here in Austin, we'll get people driving from 100 to 200 miles away to pick up their barn cats because we're one of the only places in central Texas who has a barn cat program. So we'll do about 300 cats a year through the barn cat program here. Yeah, I find that is true in areas where there's been extremely aggressive spay neuter. Yeah. So it is getting much more challenging in New England to be, you know, to be able to find barn cats. And there may be expressed frustration around that, too. But it's it's a fine balance. There's a fine balance about the number of kittens that you need in the community to be able to supply the community with already spayed and neutered kittens rather than getting unspayed and neutered kittens from other sources. If you were a smaller organization and you heard this whole like laundry list of all these different programs, where would you advise somebody to take that first step forward? I mean, is there a specific program you'd have them focus on first and foremost in their community? Would you have them have a goal and objective of trying to have all of these different programs? What would your advice be to, I hate to say the like the little guy or the little gal, but what would your advice be there? My advice for people just starting out or if you're a grassroots rescue and you don't have a big budget is to always start with the low-hanging fruit and work your way up. And in this case with cats, Assuming you're doing some trap neuter return work or SNR work, really a barn cat program for me is a great place to get your foot in and start with because it is one of the most effective and yet cheap shelter program there really is. So if you've got cats, you can just get them spayed, neutered, and vaccinated and get them out and adopted. This is a really effective program. And we work with so many shelters who will do that vetting for us in order to get their feral cats into the barn cat program. So sometimes those cats don't even come with any associated cost. But it's such an effective program with such tangible results. You can very easily show grant foundations, look, these 100 cats are being euthanized at animal control right now. I'm going to do a barn cat program and I can show you documented proof that 100 cats will live because you gave me some grant funding. It's such a cheap program and so effective that I really advocate that people start there and build a name for yourself there. There's lots of grant funding available for barn cat programs and working cat programs right now. It's a much more tangible program that you can get your hands around than, say, ringworm or neonatal because really anyone can do it anywhere in the country, and you really don't need anything special at all to start it. Kitten season is upon us, and do we have a webinar for you? Listen and chat with Hannah Shaw, the kitten lady, on Saturday, June 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and learn everything you need to know about saving kittens' lives. She'll be talking all about kittens and bottle babies, too. 
This webinar will cover the ins and outs of kittens, including an overview of issues impacting cats and kittens, how to set up your home, manage your time, and make fostering fun, how to properly feed, clean, and provide basic medical care to a kitten, how to get involved in your local community. To sign up, go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on the link on the homepage to sign up. We'll see you then. Are you new to the Community Cats Podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the listening module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the listening module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. One thing I surprisingly forgot to ask you is in terms of your spay-neuter programs, I would assume that you have some stationary clinics offering spay-neuter and potentially maybe some wellness services in the community? Yeah, the city of Austin has really done a bang-up job with making resources available to the community. So there are lots of free or low-cost wellness clinics as well as free and spay-neuter free microchipping clinics. The city runs a really robust SNR program. So yeah, we have got a lot of resources in Austin that we're really grateful to have in place. Does Austin Pets Alive only take in from like the greater Austin area or do you take transfers in from all around Texas? Our commitment is first and foremost to the city of Austin and Travis County, of course. And when we have space available, we will pull from anywhere we can in Central Texas or even beyond when we have room. Right now with our feline leukemia cats, we are taking in cats from across the country on transport because we are involved in three really fantastic studies to improve the welfare of feline leukemia cats. And so we're looking to take in additional cats right now. So we're very lucky we've gotten a bunch of cats for our leukemia program from Washington and Virginia and Arizona and beyond. And being in Texas, for me being up in the Northeast, what's life like for community cats right now in Texas in general? And what do you see it looking like in five or 10 years? In Austin, this is the safest large city in the country to be a cat. So if you're, it, it, you know, if you're a community cat in Austin, you have got life good. <laughs> we are a very, very animal-friendly community. We have really robust services for community cats. They are valued and respected and legally protected here in Austin. It's pretty much true that Austin is a, a little blueberry in a red state. So if you get outside of Travis County, Austin, Texas, things get a little more bleak for all of our companion animals. But we're seeing really great improvement growing outward from Austin. We know San Antonio has gone to almost a 90% live release rate now. Houston is making progress. We're hoping to, we'll expand to Dallas and keep spreading our, our kind of our, our no-kill model and our reach further and further out. And Texas is going to be, I think, one of the, the leaders of animal welfare soon. I think that's that's great. And I think that things are you know changing dynamically. I have definitely spoken with quite a few smaller organizations in Texas, and they're definitely facing a lot of challenges. And so you may be at a point five years from now where you're going to sit down with that map of Texas and trying to find the black hole areas. And then you're going to be doing targeted projects right into those black hole areas, which is what we've done up in New England. Yeah, and I think it's actually going to be uh, probably a lot sooner than five years. If, if, if we're hopefully lucky. so, yeah, it'd hopefully be great. Hopefully so, yeah. It, you know, and one of the things that we're really pushing hard here is teaching other shelters how to implement our models all across the country and having them come here and learn from us because we want to spread 
the work that we've done and the things that we know work to Texas and beyond. All right. Well, it'd be great even if they just took Texas as a priority zone or something like that. I mean, basically, my experience in, the, in doing targeted projects, you've got a three to five year window for your measured success of looking at a 60% reduction of intakes coming into your shelter. At least that's the experience that I've had when I've worked with communities up here in the Northeast and with other programs across the country that I mentored. With the very dramatic change, it's probably an eight-year process if we're talking about all of New England. And now there's a very substantial sort of drought in the numbers of cats up here, which is, it's a great thing, a great problem to have. It's just posing different problems. One question I forgot to ask, and I want to make sure I got in, is a conversation about FIV positive cats. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts there? The second greatest cats in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a huge advocate for FIV cats. Again, I think that I love the big melon-headed tomcats. They're my favorite thing in the world. So FIV is not a special condition for us here at all. It's not a special need. They live in gen pop with all the other cats. We don't isolate. We don't segregate them. Of course, we disclose to adopters if a cat has FIV, and we want to present them with all the information on it. But FIV research has come so far in the past decade or so that scientifically we can now prove and cite study after study that shows that these cats are no risk to be in general population. There's no reason we should not be adopting them into homes with negative cats. There's no reason they need to be quarantined at the shelter. So we can cite science on that, and we do. And so our cats with FIV here at Awesome Cuts Alive, they live with all of our other cats. They get adopted. We don't have a longer length of stay for them. They're just fantastic cats, and I'm so pleased to see that FIV research has come so far in the last several years and that more shelters are embracing them. Many shelters are also not testing for FIV anymore. Yeah, several in Texas here don't either, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing at all. It's it's pretty much, I mean, my personal opinion on FIV is it doesn't really matter if the cat has it. So if it can save you some money on testing, then go for it. So what is your greatest challenge? Oh, kitten season. Kitten season here in Texas runs, I mean, we maybe have like three months of the year off. And so we are just into it right now. Handling the huge tide is my biggest challenge at the moment. So it's almost like just that wall of kitten tsunami wave is coming at you. And all of a sudden there's one day there's no kittens. And the next day there's literally a hundred kittens that have to come to Austin Pets Alive today. And so trying to roll with that tide and figure out logistics and figure out what we need to do so that outcome is matching intake is always a struggle. And that's my project this week as we get slammed with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kittens coming in. Where do we go with them? How do I recruit more fosters? How do we get more adopters? What do we need to do to keep up with that huge tide? That's that's my big challenge right now as we just got hit with kitten season pretty much in the last two or three weeks here. <laughs> yeah, it's I. the one frustration that I felt over the years when that tsunami of kittens would come our way is that we live in this world of sheltering where we have our foster system outside of us, but we really have, uh, you know, brick and mortar that 
helps to define us. And we have staff members that define us. And it's very hard to make those systems breathe with the demands. And there's a lot of flex. I mean, I know it's true with any seasonal business out there. You have to in the summertime, you have to expand if you are in a tourist area and everybody decides to come to your tourist area in the summertime, then you have to grow your staff accordingly and you only have so many rooms, but yet you have a wait list or whatever. So I guess it's sort of the same thing in that mentality. But I felt it was so frustrating because I always liked everything. I want 30 cats every day and that's it, you know, or that's, you know, I would like to be flatlined rather than these seasonal spikes. Yeah, I would love everything to black and white and in, in its perfect little box. And of course it never is. <laughs> and I used to tell everybody my summer was really February. Yeah, exactly. Because in February was the only month you could get something proactively done. And then the rest of the time you felt like you were reactive, which is sometimes not the best way to be. It's not. And it's super stressful on the staff. And so one thing that I always look at comes to kitten season is trying to pay extra attention to staff and volunteers, make sure that they're able to emotionally handle what we're going through then they're not getting into burnout territory. Anything that we can be proactive about with our staff and volunteers come kitten season, we try and do because it's just so emotionally hard when you're faced to make those hard decisions every day. Do we have to say no to these people who are asking with these kittens and then what will happen to them? You know, it's and being at capacity or beyond capacity every day. It's important to keep your staff and your volunteers in, in mind when you're going through those big tides. Yeah. So, Monica, if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you do or Austin Pets Alive. How could they find you? Go to austinpetsalive.org. You'll see our main web page. You can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Um, you know, if I had to impart one thing, if we're focusing on feline leukemia cats, is to please look at... Well, some of the research that's out there and consider saving these guys and consider learning some more about feline leukemia. Don't hesitate to reach out to us if you'd like to learn some more. But I would one thing I would really love to see abolished in this country is the death of those feline leukemia cats as soon as they pop positive on a snap test. I would love to see that change. I agree with you 100%. And we're going to have the, the Felvies versus the Felux in a major tug of war. I'm going to make that one happen. <laughs> a showdown. <laughs> we'll have to uh, meet at some cat conference somewhere and we'll, we'll have that. <laughs> so, Monica, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and our previous episode and agreeing to be a guest. And I hope we'll have you on the show in the future. It sounds like there's great things happening. So I hope we can touch base in the future. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey, and all the work you do for Community Cats. Are you starting to think about that special gift? Why not give the gift of a Community Cats podcast branded t-shirt, coffee mug, bag, or other item? This is the perfect way to spread the word about helping Community Cats. The proceeds from the sales will go to support the Community Cats podcast and the Community Cats Grants program, which helps small groups grow their fundraising programs to be able to fund more spay-neuter programs for free-roaming cats. Go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on our shop button in the menu bar today to get that perfect Community Cat gift right now. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the show.